You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning, Real Life. Hey, if you're joining us online, good morning to you. Thanks for being here. My name is Adam McKeldry. I get the privilege of being one of our pastors here on staff. And as I look out upon you, I thought I would see more of you feeling rested today. Didn't you get an extra hour of sleep last night? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really either. You know, it is this time of year that actually makes me a fan of daylight savings. You know, when you get that extra hour of sleep and you feel the next day, you're just like, ah, oh, I could conquer the world. But then I remember the springtime when it takes me an entire week to recover from losing one hour. And that's my reminder that this is one of the dumbest things that we do. <laughs> Let's vote against it. All right. Hey, this is not the only thing that changes this time of year, though, right? We've got the seasons changing. This, in a couple of days, we are going to be all going to vote to change who our leaders are in various levels of government. And each time we get the opportunity to do this, what are we looking for? But we are looking for someone that we believe is worthy of our trust. Someone that is capable of being fair and honest as a leader who's going to have the best interests of all the people in mind, right? But we all know that this is no easy task because we all come to this with different sets of uh, different mindsets. Everyone who has a chance to vote on this have a different definition of what a good leader is. And it's probably because we're all working from a different definition of what good and right is. The search for a worthy leader is is not a new problem for humanity. Every time a group of people come together, as that group grows, the question inevitably is asked, who will be our leader? Who will take care of us? The larger the group, the greater the need to have tiers of leadership, and we we begin to say, who's going to lead this city as our mayor? Who will lead this state as our governor? Who will lead this country as our president? And you know, there is a biblical term for that same word, president. It's king. And I know that that's not a leadership title that we like to use very often here in America, because we're all red-blooded Americans, and we started this country by rebelling against a king. Right? We saw a king that was, we thought was unfairly ruling us, unjustly uh, oppressing us. And so he said, no, thank you. We don't want a part of that. And we're going to start our own thing over here. And we're not going to call it a kingdom. We're going to call it a country of United States. And we're not going to have a king. We're going to have a president that we get to choose. And it's going to be completely different. Or is it? Whether we're searching for a president or we're searching for a king, we all know that there is this innate desire within all of us to have someone who's going to lead us fairly and with justice. Someone that will stand for us when our enemies come knocking at our door. A leader that will ensure that everyone will have exactly what they need to live full lives. This is the kind of leader 
This is the kind of king that we would all like to follow. The kind of kingdom that we would all like to be a part of. Isn't it? I don't usually like to give away the ending, but I can't help it. We do have that king. And we do have that kingdom. His name is Jesus and his kingdom is being established right here, right now. And as citizens of that kingdom, we get the opportunity to take part in that. And we know that someday he will return. And that kingdom will be established in its fullness. In its original design. And it will be a kingdom where the king lives with his people. Where every need is met. Where there is no sorrow and there is no pain. There is only peace and wholeness. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We're not there yet. We're going to go back to the beginning. For the next four weeks, we're going to be working through this series that we've called King Me. And I'm going to have our guys throw up a a timeline for you. This is what we're going to be doing. We are going to be journeying through God's people's timeline here. We're going to be looking at what it took for Israel to become a kingdom and their search for a a king that was worthy to lead them. And we're going to be looking at what God's original intention was for his people and how they responded to that intention, the rejection that happens to that plan and the chaos that ensues afterwards. And after these four weeks, as we journey through their lives and their, their story, we're gonna, it's going to lead us right up to Advent. A time where we get to talk about the coming king. The king that was promised. But not just any king, right? The king of kings. The king that will establish a kingdom that is like none before. A king that will reign for all eternity in a kingdom that we have all been invited to be a part of if we choose. So let's start. Let's begin this journey by going back to the beginning of these people's story. So in the beginning, before Israel was a great nation, they were just a big family. They were a large family living under the oppression and slavery to a nation called Egypt and under the rule of a king named Pharaoh. And so for hundreds of years, this family saw only one kind of king. One that was cruel and harsh and oppressive and punishing. And that's all they knew. That's when they thought of king, that's what they knew, that's what they saw. Until one day, a man from among them, who actually was raised in Pharaoh's house, a guy by the name of Moses, comes to them and says... Guys, I've met and seen a different king. He's not like Pharaoh. He is completely different. He is the one true king. He is not just that. He is the one true God. And he has a message for you, his people. And let's go over to Exodus chapter 6 to read what this message is that Moses came to the people with. 
Exodus chapter 6, verse 2 says this. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I am remembering my covenant God is establishing. This is who I am. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. God tells his family, this is not where your story ends. This is only the beginning. This is where your story of becoming a kingdom starts. The promise I gave to your forefathers is going to happen. And I'm not going to just spin it into existence and then walk away. No, I am choosing you as my people. You are mine and I will be yours. I will be your God. I will be your king in this new kingdom. And sometime later, after God, with his outstretched arm, rescues Israel from Egypt, They're in the wilderness, and they're standing at the base of Mount Sinai, and they're getting ready to hear what God has for them. God is about to give them their instructions, the way to live in this new kingdom that he is establishing through them. And he starts these instructions like this in Exodus 19. In verse 3, he says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all of the possessions, you will be my treasured possession. Out of all the nations, you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. They had seen what God had done for them with their very own eyes, how he had rescued them from the oppression and slavery in Egypt. They had been brought out to this place. And God was saying, if you Take what I'm about to give you. If you live it out, if you obey these commands, if you walk the life that I am about to tell you about, if you will walk it like I ask you to, you will be more treasured to me than any other nation. But not just that. As I establish you as a kingdom, you will have a special role. Every one of you, 
will be a priest. You will be a kingdom of priests. And they were to be a kingdom that was unlike any other that had ever been established before. Because they had a king who was like no other king before. A king that was a king above all kings. A God who is above all gods. This is what God's original intent was for this kingdom. For them to be established as a nation, as a kingdom that saw God as their king. That lived in a way that he was about to give them. This is how you worship me. This is how you live. This is how you treat one another. How you treat the foreigner, the alien, and the widow. This is how you will put me on display to the nations. Just obey me. Let me be your king. But God knows us. He knows humanity. He knew it was going to be difficult for these guys to actually walk this out, to be able to keep their eyes on God as their king. And so he gives them leaders to help them along the way. People like Moses that would be able to to remind them of the things that their king had done for them. Remember, our king rescued us from Egypt to remind them of how their king feels about them. You are a treasured possession above all other nations. God loves you. To remind them of how their king wants them to live in this new kingdom. And Moses did the best that he could with what he was given. He wasn't perfect. He didn't do it right all the time, but he did the best that he could to lead these people. And the nation struggled. They struggled to see, continue to see God as their king, and they struggled to see beyond the troubles that they faced each day, beyond the heat of the desert that they had to walk through for 40 years, beyond the hunger and the thirst that they felt during that time. They failed to see beyond the people that were in the, the country that they were supposed to go into and take for their own. And because they failed to see past those things and to keep their eyes focused on God as their king, they had to wander those 40 years in the desert until a new generation was raised up. And with this new generation came a new leader, a guy by the name of Joshua. And Joshua spent those 40 years in the desert being discipled by Moses. So he knew what it meant to, think, uh, to see God as your king. He knew what God was expecting of his people to live in this new kingdom. So he was ready to lead God's people God's way. And it's under the late leadership of Joshua that the people finally are able to go into the land that, he had, that God had promised them. To finally go in and start this conquest of the land to be to start pushing the people out of there that God had wanted to get pushed out and take possession of it. The gift that he has, had given them. But they failed. They failed 
to complete the mission that they had been given by God. And they did not drive out all the pagan nations that were there. They left some behind. They left some of the kings behind, the people behind, these people who were worshiping other gods, who were looking to other gods and kings for what was right. And as disappointing as this failure is by the, the kingdom of Israel, the tragic thing that happens after they get established in this new country far outweighs it. Look what happens in Joshua chapter 2, or Judges chapter 2, excuse me. In Judges chapter 2, this is after they have come through the land and haven't, conquest, haven't completed the conquest, but they're finished. They're done trying to take it over. And in verse 6, we read this. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of their land, which to their, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. A whole generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. And they aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. A whole generation that did not know who God was or what he had done for them. How does this happen? How in the world can this happen? I mean, God had just given them the instructions of of how to live, how to remember who he is, the entire Levitical code, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He gave that to them so they could remember who he was that they could remember what he had done for them. He gave them feasts like Passover and Sukkot. He gave them Sabbath, a reminder to rest every week. And so many other things that they were to look upon to remember who God is and what he had done and what he was calling them to do as being a part of his kingdom. But they took their eyes off of God. And again, begin to see the things that were going on around them. Looking upon the people that were still left in the land, worshiping their gods, living their way. And it enticed them. And it drew them away 
from seeing God as their king. And this is the catalyst that we continue to see over and over happen with the people of Israel. It is a cycle that repeats throughout the entire book of Judges. Just about every story of a judge, these were these people that were raised up, these 12 people that were raised up by God to lead the people of Israel. Just about every one of those stories begins with, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the people did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And they would start this cycle. As you look at this graph that I have up on the screen here, you you see I have on the top, Israel does what is right in their own eyes, not Israel does what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is a phrase that comes from the book of Judges towards the end. And is one that I think is interconnected with the other. I don't think you can have one without the other. What does it look like to do evil in the eyes of God? Well, I think it looks like you doing what is right in your own eyes. And if you're doing what is right in your own eyes, there's a good possibility that you are doing what is evil in the eyes of God. Because of this choice, because of this way of living, Israel is no longer protected by God as their king. He says, if you want to be this way, if this is the way that you want to live, that's okay. I'm not going to force you to serve me. I'm going to let you live what you want to, how you want to live. Do it the way that you would like to do it. Let you experience the consequences of the decisions that you want to make. And they did. Doing what was right in their own eyes led to them eventually being oppressed by their enemies because the protection of God was gone. And after they spent years being oppressed by the surrounding people that were still there that they had not driven out, eventually they got to the point where they couldn't take it anymore and they would call out to God for deliverance. God, save us. Why have you abandoned us? We can't, we can't do this. And because God still loved them, still saw them as his treasured possession, he raised up a judge. Someone that would come in and lead his people from out underneath that oppression. Someone who was looking to God for what was right. And God would deliver them. And they would repent. And they would begin to serve God again. And there would be peace in the region. But as what happens to all of us, eventually this judge would die. And we would hope that they would do the right thing, right? The thing that they had been seeing this judge leading them and doing, but they don't. They go right back to doing what was right in their own eyes. The story of Gideon ends with, and Gideon died, and no sooner had he died than the people prostituted themselves back to the Baals. It's like they were just waiting for him to pass away so they could go back to the old life that they had. 
when I step back and I look at the cycle that Israel was going through during this period, it frightens me. It frightens me because I wonder, how close are we to repeating this same cycle? How many generations are we away from a generation being raised up that doesn't know who Jesus is? Think about it. Right now, in our Life for Kids classrooms, there are kids from infants up through fifth grade. Your children. Now imagine in 20 or 30 years, they start to have kids. But their kids do not know who Jesus is or what he has done for them. Those are our grandkids. Like, that is crazy. I mean, maybe it's not that generation. Maybe it's the generation after. Maybe, you know, it's our great grandkids and their grandkids. But, man, I would love to believe that we are not susceptible to this. Like, we're different, right? We're not the same as Israel was. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have surrendered our lives to Jesus as king, we could, we could never do something like that. But you guys see the same world that I do, don't you? Our world is nuts. There are things going on right now that I could have never imagined happening. I'm not talking about the the stuff that's going on in the Middle East. I'm talking about here and home. Like I know teachers who had to work under the threat of losing their job if they didn't use the pronouns that their students wanted to use. I know we have people in our country who choose to identify as an animal and live a life as a cat or a dog. I know there is a push in some circles to, to do away with the, the term pedophile and the, the other terms that go around that and replace it with minor attracted person because we're afraid of how that might make someone feel. Like... What in the world? How have we gotten to where we are? These are all things that none of us could have imagined we would ever see in our lifetimes. And these are the things that our kids are going to grow up seeing and experiencing. And, And not only that, they are going to see people who profess to be Followers of Jesus that think those things are right and support them. What are the things that their kids are going to see? I don't even know. Is it really far-fetched to say that we could only be a generation or two away from a generation being grown up that doesn't know who Jesus is?
The thing that has led us to this place, I believe, in this country. And the thing that would lead us down that same path of destruction. Down the path of producing a generation that would not know who Jesus is. Is the same thing that led the nation of Israel. Doing what was right in their own eyes. And it can feel hopeless sometimes, right? Because we, we are searching for a leader to, to step up and lead us in the way that we want to be led. In a way that is right according to God. And there are few of them. And so it can feel hopeless in those times. And I know, I imagine the people of Israel felt that way too. But there is a story that follows after the book of Judges. Judges ends with, there was no king in the land in those days and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And you're just like, ugh. What hope is there? But the very next book, the book of Ruth, starts in the time of the Judges. And we get to see this story where we are introduced to a man named Boaz, who is from the tribe of Judah, who was not like everybody else in the land of Israel. We see how he treats Ruth, an outsider, a foreigner, a widow, and the things that he does with his property and the way that he treats her and takes care of her. You're like, where did he get this from? Why would he do that? It's because his eyes were not focused on the things around him, but on God. He knew what was required of him from his king, God. Is it any wonder that Boaz is the direct line to King David? A man who is called... Uh, He's described as a man after God's own heart. And not only that, later down his lineage, we have another man born by the name of Jesus. You see, even in the midst of bad leadership, searching for a king that will lead us well, we can still choose to do what is right. So how do we know? How do we know if we're doing what is right in our own eyes or in the eyes of God? I have a question to answer that question. What are your eyes looking at to see what is right? Where are you looking to determine what is right? Are you looking at social media influencers? Are you looking at the news are you looking at entertainment, coworkers, friends, like whatever it is, where are you looking to find out what the definition of right is that is influencing you as you make your decisions day to day? Because if you're looking to things like that, man, you are going down a path that is going to be very similar to what the Israelites did. 
a path that's going to stick you in this cycle where you're going over and over again deciding what you think is right, being oppressed by sin and death, crying out to God and getting delivered, but then eventually just going right back to it. What are you looking at? Are you looking at the one true king, Jesus? The one and only way to bust out of that cycle of sin and death. Do you look to Jesus? Do you look to this book that he has given us to know what is right in the eyes of God? Right now we're going to go towards our time of communion together. Before we do this, though, before we take communion together, I want to give us all some time to just sit with the Holy Spirit. To sit with God and just ask him, God, where, where am I looking? Where am I looking that is not you? What areas in my life have I been deciding what was right? What areas in my life have I not seen you as king? So I just want to give you guys some time to just sit and pray and reflect on that before we take communion together. I know that it is not overnight that we decide to do things that are evil in the sight of the Lord. But it is the little decisions day after day after day when we decide to do what is right in our own eyes that leads us down that path. And the only way to break from that cycle is Jesus. Declaring him as king in every facet of your life and seeking his definition of what is right. Each week when we get the chance to come together as citizens of this kingdom, of our King Jesus, we have to get the opportunity to see and remember the kind of king he is. The kind that gave everything for us. His very life. So that there would be a way for us to be with him. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he, took, he gave thanks and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember our king today. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's pray. Father God, God, I thank you for the kind of God that you are, for the kind of king that you are, the kingdom that you are establishing here. Lord, I thank you that you have given us 
exactly what it is that you want us to do in this kingdom. Lord, that you have laid it out in your text. Lord, that you want us to be an active part of this. That You want us to look to you to see what is right. And not just see it, Lord, but to live it out. Lord, I pray for myself. And I pray for my friends, my brothers, my sisters, my family that you have brought here today. Lord, that we will have the courage to look into our lives and see where we are not seeing you as king. Where we are not seeing right according to the way you see it. Lord, reveal those things to us. Convict us. Give us the courage to cut those things out of our life. To push those things out. And to fill them with you. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.